Well, good morning. Welcome. Excited that you guys are here. Uh, my name's Danny. For those who are tuning in online, thank you so much for uh, streaming with us. Uh, we're in the second part of a series right now called Vivid, and I want to give you just kind of a recap of the idea behind the series. Uh, if you were to Google the word vivid, it would come up with this sort of uh, contrast of bright colors set against uh, a dark or gray background. And we're talking about how God has called us in the midst of all this that's happening in this world for us to live vivid lives. And that we need to start by recognizing the reality that, that every person in this room is a testimony of God and how he's working, even if you don't know it. I like this quote, you were made to be seen as a vivid example of a life set bright against the darkness. And it's hard to realize. It's hard to see. It's hard to, to get it to start. But I know that it's true for us and this church at this time because if I'm just being really, really authentic with you, I struggled a lot with the opener to this series. I did not like the message. I had a hard time preparing it. I had an even harder time delivering it. I don't remember which service it was. Maybe two out of the three. Somebody was wrecking my room the whole time with their spiritual obstinance, and I could just tell that the room... That happens, by the way. You can feel it sometimes, where if you can just feel that there's a few people in the room who are like, nah, nah, I'm not doing it. And I'm like, oh, the Holy Spirit's like, more, more, heavier, more. And I'm like, I want to be funny. I want to have, have a good time. And he's like, no, get them. And I'm like, that's not nice. That's not nice, Lord. And he's like, no, do it. And I left. I really left the last series, the opener, like, well, that was, I wanted more of like a party feel, like this is going to be fun. And instead, it was this deep and rich and biblical idea that God's over there, right? He's bright and vivid, and I'm over here. And the only way that I can get vivid in my life is to get more of God and the experience of the Holy Spirit in my life. But I can't do anything to get him over here. I can't preach better, perform better, be a better husband. There's nothing I can do. And it's grace that suddenly brings together this relationship that we have. And then from that place, what often happens, and this is what I was trying to, to get out the, the, during the opener, what happens during that space is then you're supposed to tell people how you did nothing and yet God is working in you and you're living this vivid life. But what we do oftentimes is we try to capture and harness all the good stuff in our lives and then we try to be educators of, to other people. Well, this is how you need to do it and this is how you need to do it. When really it's God working or it's different circumstances he's using. I remember uh, when my youngest son, who's really cerebral, very smart, very calm kid. When he was like two and a half years old, and we were really young parents, we were like, well, I guess you'd have been about four and a half. So we were like 22 years old. And I remember I was working in church, and adults, you know, people in their like late 30s, like adults, were coming up to me, and they were like, man, you and Aaron have really figured out some amazing parenting. Like, your child, I mean, he, he, he's just so well-behaved. And I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, we have. We really have. And <laughs> a true story. And I remember sitting down with, with somebody like, you know, like my age now when I was like 22, and they're like, I, I just don't get it. And I was like, well, listen, here's what I do. Like I pray with him every night, and I make sure he doesn't have any like, you know, uh, uh, food after 7, you know, or 8. He goes to bed at 8.30. And I, and I like educated them. And I remember thinking like, God, thank you for giving me this gift of parenting that I have. And then my daughter was born. Yeah, yeah, my redhead daughter. And then people were like, I, I actually had someone call me and they were like, have you guys, do you, like, is she okay? Are you guys okay? Like, what's going on? 
with a child like this in your home? Because it's clear that your home is out of control for you to have a child like this. And I was like, what? I thought I was like parent of the year. When really, it was just two kids with different personalities. This is what we do with the spiritual gifts God gives us. We use them, we get blessed by them, and then if we're not careful, we take credit for them. And that doesn't react in a vivid way. It's just me telling you I figured something out. Come be like me. Christ says, don't do that. So that was the opening to the talk. And I was flooded with comments and emails and texts and quick conversations and this is what I need. I need to know how to stay in this space, how to feel the Holy Spirit, and how to give him credit so that I can live brightly in the midst of my world, not just our church, but in the midst of the world outside these walls. Because I'm just here to tell you, church, this, this hour and 15 minutes, this is not only church. This is like 5% of what the church is supposed to be. It's outside these walls when you're in your home, your marriage, your place of work, in the community, out in whatever lines you find yourself standing in, that's where church happens. But it's not going to happen if you're just another person trying to educate people about something you figured out. So, week two, how do we actually awaken it? That's what I want to talk about. How do we actually awaken it? Once we're like, okay, God's over there, I'm over here. Grace is what happens when God begins to interact in my world. I give credit to God. What happens next? How do I actually awaken this thing and begin to move about in my life in a vivid way. Now, the most famous verse that I want to give you is the verse most of you, if you've ever sat in, a, in any sort of talk like this, are already thinking about, and it's Ephesians 5.14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This verse is quoted by different apostles. It's uh, spread all throughout the Bible. It's a very common awakened verse. I have done at least two full series just on this verse. Usually the series are called, ready? Super creative, Awaken. And then I talk all about how we're supposed to awaken and not be asleep and rise from the dead and have transformed lives. I love those series. I think they're really, really powerful. But here's what I've come to learn about the Bible. And that is that oftentimes the way verses hit you happen through the spectrum of the season of life that you're in. This particular verse, no matter how many times I've taught it, has always bothered me no matter the spectrum of life I'm in. And it's bothered me because I feel like the verse is inappropriately backwards. Now, I've never said that when I preach the series. I preach it straightforward. I've never been authentic enough or emotionally healthy enough to tell people like, I don't know if I buy this verse, but anyways, here's a whole series on Awaken. But I'm going to today. This verse really bugs me. Look at the verse again. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I have to do the awakening, I have to do the rising, and then Christ will shine on me? I'm pretty sure Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, and then Lazarus came out. I don't think Lazarus was just rolling out while Jesus walked by, and he was like, Jesus, mind if I raise from the dead? Like, the whole thing seems incredibly backwards. And so I wanted to be curious about it. I wanted to spend some time in it. And that's when I realized that that's okay because Kesed is a place for people who are spiritually curious and have questions, even me. And so I did all week long. And uh, what the Lord did for me was really, really special. And that's what I want to share with you today. Um, I'm going to start, now that that context is laid, with a Jesus story. Uh, Luke chapter 14, if you have a Bible, is going to be the uh, verse that we are going to be reading from. 
I'm going to give you just a little bit of context. Uh, Jesus has started his ministry. He has chosen his disciples. His disciples are all the wrong people. Uh, like all the wrong people. They're, none of them have gone through the proper training. None of them have gone through any sort of spiritual seminary. And he just keeps choosing like whoever he finds around the corner. Like somebody makes him a burger and he's like, thank you. Uh, what are you doing for the next three years? Like it's just, it's amazing all the different people that he pulls around him. He starts to then cause a commotion because he's doing it wrong. He's healing people. He's telling people that he came for like the sick and the lost and He's not telling people that they should really focus as much on the church and the leadership of the church or even getting out from Roman rule and the oppression. He's telling people they should be more focused on him. And it's starting to bother all the right people. It's starting to bother the legal people. It's starting to bother the spiritual people. And Jesus doesn't seem to care. And so he's moving from town to town not caring. You don't hear... People say that a lot about Jesus, but actually, we could do a whole sermon on all the things Jesus doesn't care about. <laughs> we should do a whole series. Alyssa, you should write that down. A whole series. We're going to do a whole series on all the things Jesus doesn't care about, right, or doesn't love. It'll be great. I, I need a name, but I, I'll get it. I'll get it later. But, but it'll be great. You're going to see it, and you'll be like, I was there when, when that happened. Uh, all the things Je Jesus doesn't care. He's just going about his ministry. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, these people... The, the right people, the powerful people, all of a sudden shift gears and invite Jesus to their house. And not just on any day, but on the holy day of Sabbath. So one day in the week where you can't, you've you got to do everything, but uh, can't do anything but focus on God and focus on relationship. And so all of a sudden Jesus gets an invite. Something's up. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 14, verse 1. I'm going to read it to you. We'll go all the way uh, through verse 6, and then I'm going to read it to you. Chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The answer is, by the way, it is not. You cannot do anything but have relationship with God. You can't heal. You can't do miracles. You can't do any kind of work at all. But they remained silent. Then he, Jesus, took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So you read the verse, you're like, oh, that's an interesting story. Until you slow down the verse. Until you allow the verse to be seen from your spectrum and your life. And most importantly, you really see all the different pieces that are put inside this tiny passage to tell you what's really going on. First, it's on Sabbath. It should be the day that most people are worshiping God and are connecting. But instead, it's the day that this group of people who are inviting Jesus are strategically planning to destroy somebody. They invite Jesus into their home, and it says when they invited him in that they were watching him carefully. This means everybody in the room that knew what was going on was going to be a little uncomfortable at first. The disciples, for sure, because they never got invited anywhere nice. Right? They were just the disciples. They were fishermen and tax collectors, and all of a sudden they get invited to, like, a legit priest's house on Sabbath. They're like, all right, I'm going to dress up. I'm going to shower. We're going to the priest's house. But Jesus, you can tell, he doesn't care. He gets there. He looks around, and 
the person writing the passage, okay, Luke, notes, they were watching him carefully, probably watching his conversations, probably watching where he sat at the table, because where you sit at the table is determined by your honor. So Jesus comes, and they set him wherever they want, and Jesus is fine with that. Hmm, he's not upset about that we didn't sit him at the head of the table. Would have noted if they did. So they set him probably closer to the foot, letting him know, you're not that big a deal. Jesus sits around, and he looks, and then it says that all of a sudden, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, dropsy is uh, something that happens a lot with, like, congestive heart failure. It's, it's severe swelling of the limbs. And in this culture, any kind of sickness, specifically of the heart, but any kind of sickness would end up becoming something of a sinful nature. So if you had this kind of disease, you were unclean. So we know that Jesus on Sabbath is at the house of a priest, a house hard to get into, a house invite only. You can't even get into the outer courtyard yet, into the home, yet into the dining area. And all of a sudden, in comes this man with dropsy. Where did he come from? Doesn't sound like the priests were surprised, but the, you can understand why when you read next to who Jesus was talking to, because he was talking to exactly why the man with dropsy showed up. He responds to the lawyers and the Pharisees. See, these people who were schooled in spiritual law and in land law, these people invited Jesus to dinner and then went and found a man and brought him into their dining room so that they could set up Jesus to break the law so that they could destroy him. And this man shows up, and Jesus sees them, and he knows what's going on. And you know, you know, right? Because again, we're all humans. you got to put yourself in this room. Everybody's eating. Everything's going fine. Peter's like, all right, there's no problems here. John's like, all right, everything's good. This, is, this could be a good thing. We need these people to get our movement going. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's clearly a man who's sick. And you know Peter was like, no, 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 no. You know, you know Jesus was kicked under the table at least a couple times. Like, come on, come on, come on. We can heal him later. You know where he lives. You're the Messiah. Let's, you don't have to do this right now. Don't wreck it. This is why we never have nice things, right? This is like that kind of a, it's this kind of a situation. And the man with dropsy gets placed in this room. And he knows that he doesn't belong there. Because he knows he's unclean. But he comes anyways because he thinks there might be a healing. And so Jesus responds to them. And he says, if one of your sons fell into a hole, into a well, would you not pick him up? Would you not save him? He changes the room. He, he transforms the room. He turns the man from something that's unclean into a son, into a daughter, into something that deserves to have great help. This is always what Jesus does. Always, always, always. Jesus always messes up your rooms. He always does. He always messes up the room. And you think you're there for one reason, but Jesus knows you're there for another. another. Whenever Jesus is invited into an existing community, he will eventually redefine what that community exists for. That's what he does. So he sees the man with dropsy and he calls him over. And he leans into this man and he heals him. And it doesn't say how he heals him, but I just want to imagine it's dramatic. Like, powerfully dramatic. I, I, I don't know how. I want to imagine he stands up and he takes the man's hand and he, maybe he walks him to the other side of the table, the very, very end, the foot of the table, where nobody really respectful lives. And he takes the man and he says something 
or he says nothing. His pauses can be really dramatic too. And suddenly the man's body starts to shrink as his swelling goes away. And there's murmuring in the room and Peter's like, I knew he was going to do it. He always does this stuff. And you know the man's not going to be silent. He's like, Lord, Lord, Lord. And he's being healed right there in the room. And the lawyers are looking around. And the Pharisees are looking around and no one knows what to do because they just witnessed the healing. And they know that if it was their son, that it would have been okay. It doesn't say the man leaves. I like to imagine that, I like to imagine that Jesus actually gives him his chair maybe or, or maybe there's an extra chair there in the room and they both sit together and they just start eating together and the room just gets awkward. You ever been to just a crazy awkward dinner party? Like, uh. And Jesus is just talking like, so where are you from? Uh, you know, I'm from, you know. Oh, they're just talking and all of a sudden the, the buzz in the room starts to go just a little bit more and just a little bit more. And then Jesus notices. He notices that there's a change in the room. It says so in the very next verse. I'm not skipping around. I'm just reading the story as it is. But I am pausing to give you some chance for your own curiosity. Verse 7 through 11. Now, all of a sudden, he told a parable of those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honor. All of a sudden, he's like, so can I tell you guys a story? (laughs) You know, Matthew's like, no, this is... We're not getting to dessert for sure. We are just not, like, I really thought these people could help us. And Jesus is like, so, uh, so anyways, I'm going to tell you guys a story. And he says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, which I believe is where Jesus was sitting with this man who was just healed, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, hand over the shoulder, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's sitting at the end of the table with the man he healed while the the, the head priest and the head lawyer and all their family members are at the other table. And he basically says, this world that you've created here, this thing you think's happening, this plan you're trying to pull off, the way you're trying to outthink me and outstrategize me, it's not going to happen. For this world that you've created here is upside down. Jesus reimagines every single time when we try to redefine him, he ends up redefining everyone else. Now, I want to pause for a minute, and this isn't in my notes. Some of you in this room, some of you in this room, this is how you engage with God. You invite him to your emotional dinner parties. You try to engage with him with your wisdom and your, your spiritual, you know, insights or your pain or your hurt or, you know, whatever kind of, uh, you know, cerebral understanding or your trauma, and you invite him and you try to out-strategize him. You try to out-legal him. You try to out-science him. And you're like, you can come to the house, Jesus. You can come hang out. But I'm going to bring some friends. We're going to ask some questions, and you're going to mess it up. You're going to be so uncomfortable when you're hanging out with our crew. And Jesus is like, what time? And then he shows up. And then you throw everything you can at him. You throw all your drop, dropsy uh, friends. You throw all your circumstances. You throw all your arguments. And all the time... You're thinking like, got you. 
This is why I don't follow you. This is why you're not important. This is why my life's not built on you. And all of a sudden, Jesus is just smiling in the room, and he's like, hey, can I tell you a story? And he begins to engage with you in a way that convicts you, and it's really hard at first. It's really difficult at first. And it's, it's kind of it's like your mind's asleep. You, you, you can't really hear or awaken to all the things that he's trying to show you. And so you kind of toss and turn and you get uncomfortable and you come to church and then you disappear for two months. Then you come back to church and you're even more frustrated, but you're looking for ammo because last time you came here, somebody said something or did something that made you mad. But Jesus doesn't leave the table. He's still there with you. We have to remember that vivid happens through contrast. I told you earlier about images like this one that happen when you Google what that word really means. And they're deep and they're rich, but there's also great conflict between the vibrant color and the emptiness outside it. When Jesus enters your life, he is that vibrant color. When he comes to the table, he is that richness of truth. And no matter how much you try to throw at him, no matter how many excuses I have made, and trust me, I have made many, and I am articulate with the Lord, and I let him know exactly what I think about the party I'm trying to have that he keeps wrecking. And sometimes it doesn't even have to do with him. I'm trying to throw a party for something else. I have a movement. I have a vision. I need to be a leader. And then Jesus shows up, and I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, that whole give it away stuff. Listen, right now, we need to receive. We need help. We need growth. We need support. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, anyways, so I would like to talk to you about what I want to do. And I'm like, you're not at the head of this table. It just happens so organically. It's just, it's so human. Like, did you, did you think you're in charge of this life? And it's like he just, he just gets you. And I think he creates space like he did for these people where you have to swallow your own words and be like, okay, okay. But you're not quite awake yet. And so you sit in the uncomfortableness and it's right about here within the space you give that a quiet opportunity seems to happen. The very next verse says, very next verse Jesus turns, and he looks at the man at the head of the table, the man who represents this upside-down broken kingdom. Look what he does, verse 12 through 13. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, so there's a lot of eye contact here, people. This is a very personal verse. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends. I think he maybe points to one or two people he knows are friends of the, the, the important man. Do not invite your brothers or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Basically, stop trying to throw parties for yourself, pretending they're for other people. Yeah, a lot of the lives we have, we create for ourselves, and the whole time we're just pretending they're for other people. I want to have this wife who behaves and looks like this. I want to have these kids who behave and look like this. I want to have this family so I can provide good for my family. I want to work hard at work so I can make sure and provide good. But really, I'm feeling so insecure about existing in this world that without the cover of my wife, the kids, and the nice house, and all the hours I put it at work, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. So I throw parties for me, always labeled as for other people. Jesus says, don't do this anymore. 
But when you give a feast, when you live your life, when you celebrate, when you give a feast, invite the poor. And I think he's got his friend right there. Right there. He's got his dropsy friend who now looks like a million bucks. He's like a triathlon athlete now. He just looks incredible. That's how I like to imagine. <laughs> like everything about him changed. He got new teeth. Like everything's better. He's got glowing locks of hair. Like he just looks like, wow. He says, when you throw a feast, invite the poor, squeeze. Invite the crippled, squeeze. Invite the lame, squeeze. Invite the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says everything here is upside down. And you need to realize right away that you are asleep if you are throwing parties like this and living in a world like this. Because the people that Jesus came to be with are people who are aware they don't belong. Here's one thing I've always been bothered by in Scripture, and it's that we assign people's uh, maladies, right, their difficulties, their struggles, and then deem them fools. Do you think this man who had dropsy didn't know that he was being invited to a place he didn't belong? Do you think he walked in and felt comfortable with the priests and all these other people who had scowled at him for years? The priest, by the way, would have been the one who deemed him unclean. This man knew exactly the room he was walking into. And he knew he didn't belong, and he knew he didn't fit. But he went anyways, because he heard there might be healing there. The message gives a word for people like this, the message version of this same verse. Then he turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. Here's the word, the misfits from the wrong side of the track. Jesus came, take it all away, for the misfits. That's what he came for. And so he takes this situation in this room and has this healed man and sets him at the foot of the table, the only place a man like that would have been allowed. He then brings healing into his life and then suddenly tells the host, if you put yourself at the foot of the table, you'll be raised to the front reversing the place of honor so that without anybody moving in the room, suddenly Jesus is at the head of the table with a man who knew he didn't even belong in the room. This is my big question about the earlier awakening verse. What if awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, what if that part of the verse right there is referring to misfits, people who know they don't belong, they are, they are broken. They are lost. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. They know that their world is, 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 is a... They know deep down inside that the stuff that is broken within them is going to keep them from crossing the chasm to Christ. They know it, and so he asks them, to be like those people. This verse is about asking us to be like those people, knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that I can't make it to where Jesus is without Jesus coming to me, healing me, and then reversing this low place so that I have a place of honor. These people are the awake people. These people are the risen from the dead people. People at the end of their rope who don't even throw parties because they don't feel like they deserve them. And in the midst of that place, Jesus shows up brings everything needed, and then turns the entire situation around so that suddenly they are the ones, they are the ones that Christ is shining on. And the people at the other end of the table who think they are living it, 
who are getting away with it, who are pretending it, those are the people who are truly, truly asleep. That's why the verse is reversed. That's why it starts upside down and backwards. (laughs) Because this world is upside down and backwards, and the verse is just addressing it. It's just saying, those who seek to be least will be greatest. Those who know they're asleep will be shined upon. Those who know they are dead to saving themselves will be raised. This is how you awaken vivid living in your life. This is what you and I are supposed to do. We are supposed to tell him there's nothing we can do. We are supposed to only offer him the simplicity of all that we are, and in the midst of that place, we are supposed to experience the graciousness. Now, here's why it's so difficult. Because when you're invited to this place, sometimes you've got to pass through a room or a lifestyle of a whole bunch of asleep people who belittle and make fun of you all the way to the low end of the table. You've got to set down that, that group of friends that keeps pulling you back in. You've got to set down that colleague that keeps making your mind stray you got to set down that situation that, that the world says is so good for you, but that God says is damaging. You've got to decide, I've got to decide that I will show up to some of the most difficult spaces I've ever sat in so that Jesus can show up with me and be like, you know you don't belong here, right? Jesus, I feel so much like I don't belong here. Awesome. As soon as you belong here, you know where you're sitting at the table, but when you don't belong then you know you belong to me. There are a lot of people in our church right now that need to experience this. A lot of people who've been asleep a long, long time. I believe, as scary as this is, that Kesed is actually building a whole new core. I said um, at the opening of this series that I think the church is done being planted after 12 years, that we're a, we're a church now founded. But what that also means is that we have a, to be a church with a brand new core. And it has to be a large core and a healthy core and a whole core. It has to be a group of people who know what it means to be in community, who are willing to pay costs and walk into rooms where they don't fit and they don't belong because Jesus asked them to be there so that their egos die, so that the pieces of their story they've never shared get exposed. All of a sudden, they have to be healing and whole, and their marriages have to grow strong. And inside that core, they have to hold one another accountable And all of a sudden, be the church. And all of a sudden, find that on that foundation, that larger foundation, God can do something even greater that only he gets credit for. Because I believe, just like he was in this room right now, Jesus is noticing. He is looking around the room at you and me, and he's waiting for somebody to say something. Or he's waiting for somebody on the outside of the door with emotional dropsy to go, I don't want to go in there. I'm going in. And you don't want to because the room gets silent when people with that kind of affliction walk in the room. The room gets silent when a guy like me sits on stage and says, hey, listen, uh, five years ago, I'd like to have a better marriage. I'd like to have a better story. I got to go get some therapy. You know how silent this room got for that first six months? Like people would encourage me through not talking to me. I had pastors in town asking all the time, like, how's that working out for you? I'm like, I don't know, man but I'd rather stay in my marriage and and learn to be a better dad 
than, than pretend. When you can enter into those rooms, I will say it gets easier and easier because you know Jesus is going to be there. You know he's going to catch you. But you've got to decide to enter into those rooms. You've got to decide to focus on what God has given you. Stop driving and striving all your ambition for all this stuff out there when he's given you this beautiful thing sitting right next to you. Right now. What if we just showed up with all the swelling and all the heartache and all the ego, all the addictions, all the habits, all the secrets? What if we just, what if we just showed up? And yeah, some people are going to go, no. But what if you decided that Jesus is what you're after and you looked past all the people judging you and you saw him and you went after him? And you trusted him to set you at that table and turn your kingdom upside down. It's time for some of you to wake up. It's time for you to be the person God's asked you to be, to be a part of a community, to be known. We'll take you. And if it's not here, find a community to do it. Because it's time for you to stop living all by yourself. You don't need to do that anymore. What if we were the place in town that took all the people nobody else wanted? The only place that can do that is a place full of people who know what it feels like to not be wanted. So you got to start there. And you got to let that light into your heart so that you can shine bright against the darkness so that other people can see you because they are wandering out there looking for anything and everything to bring them survival in the midst of the storm that is destroying them and eating them up piece by piece. We have a job to do. And we have a God who's calling us to do it. And he'll take you just as you are. And I'm beyond blessed to be part of it with you. At the close of each message inside this Vivid series, we're going to give you a song. We're going to play a song, and that's going to be our Vivid Song of the Week. And the idea behind it is that you get to sit inside this song for the next seven days knowing that uh, this campus, the other campus, uh, however many people online that are watching, uh, that we're all kind of humming and harmonizing around this same song. And we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does with that as we come back together every week. So I'm going to have the team come out. I'm going to pray with you, and we're just going to spend some time reflecting on what it is God wants to do with your new vivid life. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's a lot of apprehension in this room. You've asked a lot of people to open some doors that they have kept closed strategically for a long time. And they know that if they go through that door, survival could be a question. We know, Lord, that where you are, all else is overcome. We know, Lord, that, that you are the light set bright against the darkness. And so that if you've called us into that room, you will be there, that you will stand with us. We are so very grateful, God, we are so very grateful that you can do this thing that you do. 
spite of the apprehension, in spite of the fear, in spite of all the struggles. We just lift this time of reflection to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. together. Open up the windows. Let the light in. Let's declare this. Open up the windows. Let the light in. 
time.